Guys, I think at this point, it's undeniable that our next guest is truly one of the best fight analysts there is in the sport. With all of his excellent work on BT Sports Inside the Octagon with John Gooden, the UFC commentary desk, and of course, absolutely killing it on the war room on his own channel, Full Reptile. He's kind enough to join us to help preview UFC 259, the one and only Dan Hardy. Welcome back to Submission Radio, man. Thanks for staying up and joining us a little bit later over there from London. Oh, no worries. I, I always enjoy having our conversations with you guys and I always get good feedback from the clips you put out. So uh, I'm interested to see who I'm going to upset this time around. <laughs> yes, that's the most fun part. See see who that's gets triggered. We'll, uh, we'll do our best, shall we? But getting straight into it, man, the main event between Jan Blachowicz versus Israel Adesanya. Um, we were speaking to Bas Rudin recently and he mentioned how to beat somebody as precise and technical as Israel Adesanya, uh, you got to push forward in order to keep him off balance so that he finds it hard to land those power shots. You know, if he's sort of got his weight on one leg, it makes it harder for him. Um, what do you make of that strategy for Jan uh, to really just pressure Israel and try and bully him from the very beginning and outset of the fight? Yeah, I think it makes a lot of sense. You know, with someone like Adesanya, they, they thrive on time and space and they, they manage range so well that if you give them that space and you give them the time to, to set up their, their games and their traps, like you're always going to be a few steps behind. The, the benefit in being aggressive, you know, from the offset, especially if, you, if you're the bigger, stronger guy as well, which we can assume that Yan is, um, if, if you can put that game plan forward early, it automatically puts them on the back foot. So before they can even start about offense, they've got to they've got to consider their defense. Um, and with someone like Adesanya, because he works so well with range um, and and catching people as they're moving through it, the less time you spend transitioning through that danger zone, the better. Um, I mean, if if I was Jan, I'd be coming in to push him up against the fence and beat him up, punching my way in and out the clinch, but not get too far out. And if I can get the fight to the floor, I absolutely would. Um, I mean, I think that's the obvious game plan for Jan. Uh, I don't think he's I don't think he's out of depth with his striking, but I think if we're all honest, the level that Adesanya is at at this current state, it, it might be a lot for Jan to handle. You did a great job of sort of breaking down how much the feints are going to affect this fight, and I wonder how many how much changes do you think Jan could make going into this fight? I mean, he wouldn't be able to completely change his striking style. But do you think he watches back some of those clips, like with Corey Anderson, where uh, those feints really sort of give those big openings and he tightens those aspects up of his game going into this fight? Or do you think with him, it's, you know, creating chaos in that octagon early, trying to push forward and not giving Israel those, I suppose, <laughs> two milliseconds that it would usually take him to start figuring out some of those gaps? I, I think a part of it maybe because... I mean, certainly in, in, in MMA, in, in the UFC so far, I don't know if Jan's fought anybody that has really tested him at that range. You know, the, the way that Jan moves away and brings his hands forward, you know, if you think back to uh, Rakic fighting Jimmy Manoa, that's the kind of kick that would land with someone doing that with their guard. You know, as the punches come out, they reach away and they pull their head back and that's when those long legs come around the sides. Um, it, it might just be a case of Jan's never never kind of been shown that hole in his game, so he's never had to fix it. Or it might be because he's always able to get his chin out of the way. I mean, it was funny, something that Cyril Gann said after the weekend, people criticizing his chin being up as he's striking. The point being made is that if no one's touching it, it doesn't really matter. Hmm. Um, I mean, someone will eventually get to it, and, I, and that's, where, that's where the feints and the trickery of Adesanya can be very effective because he can start not only capitalizing on those, on those holes in his game, but actually creating them himself. Um, honestly, what I find for a lot of fighters, 
and even the, even young fighters that are in the gym, if I can see a tick or a tell in their game that's a vulnerability, once I've pointed it out and they know it's there, or you know, once a, once a coach will say, hey, you know, you, you're reaching too far with your backhand, it, it, the, the awareness alone can solve the problem. You know, a lot of the time with these high level fighters, it, it's not a technical thing that they have to really fix. It, it's more of a philosophical thing. It's an application thing and I think if Jan's aware that that hole in his game's there and a potential vulnerability for against Israel that you know he, he might be able to keep tight and, and close him down pretty quickly I hate to be the hey is the smaller octagon gonna affect this fight type of guy but uh is the smaller octagon gonna help Jan sort of implement his game plan of getting Israel to the cage quicker pushing the chaos in there or do you think it's just at this point for Israel, it doesn't really matter? Especially for a guy who in himself has gotten so many victories in those smaller kickboxing rings and knows the ins and outs of, of getting out, cutting angles and not leaving himself in vulnerable positions. Um, honestly, I think, you know, Adesanya is excellent it, regardless of the arena that he's in. You know, whether it's a kickboxing ring or the big octagon or the small one, I, I, don't, think, I don't think he's going to be too phased by it. I mean, you know, there's less space so it's much easier for Jan to take that space away from him just because it's not there and it surprises me how little this is a conversation to be honest like if, if you were going, went from playing on a, a full side full size football pitch to a five a side pitch you'd have been you'd have been having conversations about your tactical changes and and I think that there is one here like Jan probably would have to take two steps in the smaller octagon in in you know in an alternative scenario, he'd probably have to take three or four in the larger one. And as we were talking about earlier, the danger is transitioning through the space in front of Adesanya. If you can transition through two steps of space and he's backed up against the fence, that's always going to be safer than transitioning through three steps or four steps. Um, I, I do think that the smaller octagon does favor the fighters that want to cut the octagon down. I, I will say this on top of that. There are a lot of fights in the UFC. The majority of the roster don't know how to use their footwork to take space away. Uh, and that's quite frustrating to watch, um, which is where Adesanya is, you know, he's so good because he's very aware of where he is in, in the octagon and he's very aware of the range at which his opponent's closing. I mean, the knee against Eric Brunson that I pointed out in War Rooms is a good example, you know, actually adapting the technique as his opponent's coming in. But still, cramping him up against the fence, he's not going to be comfortable for him. And if one fence is closer to the other fence than the bigger octagon, it's, it's going to be easier for Jan to close him down. Mm. We've seen Jan throw really devastating shots when he breaks that clinch, you know, on the exit, uh, Luke Rockhold being a good example. Uh, but the other thing is, uh, you know, with some of the more memorable, unsuccessful middleweights going to light heavyweights in Luke Rockhold and Chris Weidman, one of the issues became when they went uh, for the takedown. Rockhold was saying this to us just yesterday, went for the takedown, uh, gassed his arms out, and he wasn't prepared for the size and strength uh, disadvantage that he, he would have. Chris Weidman against Dominic Reyes, very similar example. And people kind of remember, oh, those guys, you know, kind of got beaten very handily. Israel isn't really in that category. I don't really foresee him shooting a takedown on Yarn. So in that sense, do you feel it kind of um, eliminates the problem? And, and just how much of a factor do you think Yarn's size and strength, you know, will be or could be, um, you know, in, in the fight? I, I think it's, I think it is a factor, but I think it's incremental. As the rounds go on, Yarn's got to make his weight work for him. Um, you, you know, Adesanya is not going to feel any of that kind of weight if they're not clinched up, if they're not up against the fence, mm. if Jan's in top position. I mean, 
if Jan is able to get Izzy to the floor, there's an additional 20 or 30 pounds on his frame that are going to help him hold Adesanya down. And that might not be much of a difference for the first time or first two times Adesanya is getting back to his feet. But if he's taken down multiple times, you're doing reps with an additional 30 pounds on, on, on top of you. And it, and it does fatigue you. It does slow you down. So obviously, the, you know, the less engagement that Adesanya can have with close range and with clinch, it's, it, it's always going to favor him. The onus really is on Yan to make sure that that weight counts in this fight. And that's a challenge. Like that requires him getting close, getting his hands on Adesanya and at least subduing him, you know, for, for, it, for as long as it takes for him to start feeling that weight in his cardiovascular system. Um, I, I don't think it's a massive factor. And, and at the same time, Adesanya's got a height and reach advantage. So I think, you know, when it comes to range, I still think he commands the range. Um, it, it's going to be hard for Jan to make that extra weight count, and he's got to do it with his hands on Adesanya. He can't do it at a distance. Yeah, with, with that long range as well, um, we've seen Adesanya really work really well against the cage, defending takedowns um, in those clinches. He's been able to sort of get those double overhooks. And then I was watching some of the footage of him uh, working out over there uh, with, you know, Galvao and the guys over there at ATOS. And you could see that his grappling IQ and jiu-jitsu is just getting better and better and better. Um, do you think people are sort of underestimating the defense and the the ability that Israel might have against the cage if Jan does get in there? Yeah, yeah, I absolutely do. I, I was I was so surprised at how quickly his takedown defense improved. You know, from the mm. Rob Wilkinson fight and debut up to the point where you know he, he's he's stuffing takedowns with ease up against the fence. Uh, you know, he's got excellent. I mean, the, the Derek Brunson fight was a, just a, a consummate performance from a, a well-rounded mixed martial artist. He didn't look like a kickboxer in that fight. He looked he looked like an MMA fighter with a good mastery of of his striking range, and. and I, I always kind of say this, like <clears throat> understanding the levels of striking allows you to comprehend that there are the same kind of levels in jiu-jitsu. Like my jiu-jitsu doesn't compare to my my striking. You know, I, I, my jiu-jitsu has gotten better because my understanding of striking is pretty good. But there's still, there's still a way to go. But it's much easier to cover that ground if the fog's already cleared. You know, it's like it's like you're playing a strategy game and you've cleared the fog out. You, you know the direction to the enemy fortress because you've cleared the fog away. Like Adesanya knows that there are levels that he can progress through, which means he's going to be able to move through them much quicker. And, and you know, when you've got Adesanya walking onto your mat, you know exactly what you're dealing with as an athlete and as a student of the game. He's going to be like a sponge and he's going to have all the best kind of training partners around him that are all going to look after him and give him all the best information they can get. Like he's on a fast track to becoming one of the best mixed martial artists of all time. And, and the progress that he's shown so far with his takedown offense is evidence of that. Yeah, well, I was also going to say that uh, not only is he sort of precise, but he was speaking to Ariel about how he's only going to be weighing maybe about 193 pounds come fight night. So much, very much one of the smaller light heavyweights once he actually gets into the cage. Do you think that, you know, with, with his feints and then also if he has a distinct speed advantage, this fight could potentially be pretty one-sided if he starts landing, finding the target, fighting the range. And then if he has just such a clear speed advantage, then those strikes might really start to add up pretty quickly if Jan, you know, in a sense can't keep up. And, and also just to add to that, I'm wondering how you think Jan's, um, you know, he's got these devastating body kicks and leg kicks that he just likes to blast through that can kind of be almost like an equalizer and change the tide of the fight. I'm wondering if you think they can factor in at some point. 
Well, I certainly think the kicks will be a factor, especially given the fact that Adesanya's uh, head movement is his main form of defence. The, the two things about that, one is by having very mobile head movement, you need to have a wider base to, to counterbalance yourself, which leaves the legs vulnerable for the kicks. The other thing as well, when you're slipping your head out of the way, your waist is staying largely in the same place, so the body kicks are still an option. The, the tendency when someone is using lots of head movement is to try and hit them in the head. And, and people fall into that trap a lot. And I mean, you can go back and watch the, the Rob Whitaker fight. And times when Whitaker could have been digging shots to the body when Adesanya was wide open, he was still swinging for the head and missing. Um, so I, I think I think Yan coming in and, and hammering kicks in, you know, without worrying too much about uh, you know about what's coming back is, is probably a good thing because he can you know he, he can kind of wade his way into range between behind powerful kicks. And if he can start fainting with the hands to set that up, it's going to make landing those kicks much, much easier. Um, what was the question before that? Uh, just about Israel's speed, where if he can start landing yeah. and find his... his uh, yeah, you, you know what I was asking. If, if, he comes in, if he comes in at 193 pounds, 195, if, even if he came in at 200 pounds, I'd, I'd be very impressed because that's a, that's a state of confidence coming in underweight. Um, you know, obviously... The limit is 205, but we all know that most guys are stepping in there at least 10, 15 pounds over that, if not more. Um, so Adesanya already is, a, is a, acknowledging the fact that he's not as big as these guys, which means that he's almost railroaded himself into, into the techniques that he's best at, because we now know that he's probably not going to come out and try and grapple, especially because you know if he's got a distinct weight disadvantage that would be even more accentuated on the night when Jan's rehydrated. Like it, we, we kind of know what we're getting from Adesanya, but it's such a it's such a statement of confidence to come in kind of underweight and just you know know that you've got the skills to do it. Um, and and I, I respect that very much about him because there the, the may for a lot of fighters you know feel like there's a pressure to go up and be a bigger fighter in the weight class if you're moving up. But Adesanya is going to hold himself at a weight where he can quite easily bounce between two weight classes, and he's and he's winning both. He would win in both weight classes with skill as opposed to with his physicality. And, you know, that's, that is the, the ultimate in, in martial arts for me. It's someone that will forego physical advantages and deal with someone with technique alone. And, and that, that's exactly what this is. It's kind of with John Jones going up to heavyweight as well. You know, he foregoes a lot of those, those strong physical attributes that he's got against other 205ers. And, and he goes up against some other, like, physiological monsters like... <laughs> uh, like Singanu that you know potentially cause him some problems. It's almost like evening out the playing field. Um, again, you know Anderson Silva going up to light heavyweight. Same thing again. Like he was, he wasn't weighing in over the the uh, two hundred five limit, but he was still lighting those guys up and and making it look very easy as well. You know, weight's not everything, and Adesanya might prove that this weekend. And speaking of confidence, I mean, we know Adesanya's got a ton of it. He is on his way to becoming one of the greatest of all time to ever do it. But I think one of the things that makes Jan dangerous is his mindset as well. I mean, the guy has had an up-and-down career, but always believed he was going to become champion at the end of it. He's, he's led an interesting life, um, crazy bounces stories. He's got that uh, noose that he carries around with him from the guy that hung himself in the forest. He just had, kind of has a different outlook on life and a lot of self-confidence in what he does. How much do you think makes that makes him even more dangerous with that kind of mindset where I believe the last few opponents that Adesanya has had have had that sort of Mike Tyson-esque, Anderson Silva-esque 
mental implication on them where a part of them almost, once they got in that octagon with uh, Adesanya, a, a part of them almost didn't believe that they could get it done. Whereas Jan thinks this is it, he's going to get it done. Yeah, I think I think him winning the belt has, has massively fueled his confidence, and, and I think you know all the way all the way up to to winning the title. I think he's I think he's known that it was in his future. I just think now he's arrived at this point. He, I think he's I think this is the time when he realizes himself as a martial artist, and I think that confidence goes a long way, especially when you've already got this, the skills and experience that that Jan's got. You know, it's not like he's arrived at the light heavyweight title without. You know, as you said, without some ups and downs and without some some rough fights and rough uh, rough uh, experiences. Um, but then, you know, go back to the, the Thiago Santos fight where they were both very patient for ten minutes, and then Yan went charging forward and got knocked out at thirty nine seconds of the third round. And as like pretty much as soon as he was up and conscious and was aware of what had happened, he was laughing about it because he was like, ah. Oh. I ran onto it. You know what? A, what a silly thing to do. He's a guy that's had ten thousand fights, and he and he doesn't take himself too seriously. I, I mean, I was very fortunate to spend a bit of time with him when I was out in uh, in Poland before the Krakow event. Uh, was it not his debut? Is his second fight? Uh, we did a show called Stories from Poland, which is floating around on YouTube somewhere. It was a lot of fun, and uh, Jan Jan was a great individual just to sit and talk to. He's he's very lively. He's very much like a kid in a lot of ways. Um, and and he's he's just enjoying the journey. You know, a lot of fighters get locked onto the, the the end goal and destination. And there's an end goal and a destination if you're an athlete, but if you're a martial artist, there isn't one. And 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 what's nice about this is both of these guys, although they're champions stepping in there, they're still very much students on their journey. And we're going to see them improve constantly from this point onwards, no matter who wins this weekend. I, I, I think Jan's got a very, very positive mentality, and I think that's fueled by him carrying the belt. When you get in there and you see Adesanya moving around and you can't hit him, though, that's when we start to see how Jan adapts and how far that self-belief goes, because he's going to have to walk through some shots. There's no doubt about that. Um, confidence goes a long way when it comes to taking punches. Yeah, 100%. And uh, I want to touch on what's next for both guys or, or either guy, but you mentioned confidence. And just quickly, as a reminder, nothing's going to make you feel more confident this St. Paddy's Day than having a smooth set of bowls. Remember, St. Patrick's Day is for pubs, not pubes. So get everything in check down there with Manscaped's Lawnmower 3.0, the best grooming tool on the market, 7,000 RPM of pure power, skin-safe technology, and it's waterproof. Uh, the best tool in the market, isn't that right, Dennis? That's right, man. Showcase your pot of gold like no other with Manscaped. And don't forget, you got the crop preserver, the bowl deodorant. You've got the performance package, which if you get that today, you get two free gifts. The Manscaped boxes, which are super comfortable, and the shed travel bag, which really comes in handy. And with the code word submission, you get 20% off and free shipping. And also, every purchase at manscaped.com goes towards contributions made to the Testicular Cancer Society to bring awareness to the testicular cancer, men's health, and early cancer detection, which is super important. So jump on that today. We are presented by Manscaped. Yeah, that's right. Now, I mentioned I wanted to talk to you, Dan, about what's next. And uh, if Jan wins, I wouldn't expect him to be an overnight superstar or anything, but it, it does a lot in terms of name value for him and, you know, putting him on the map, so to speak. But if Adesanya can win here, I guess this is the exciting part because it puts him in a small, you know, elite club of dual champions in the UFC, uh, you know, people like Conor McGregor, Amanda Nunes, DC, and Henry Cejudo. 
this feels like his entry into sort of the GOAT and pound-for-pound discussion. What do you think it says about him to be able to hold both belts at the same time, especially seeing as, you know, he's so young in his UFC run. That's that's what's also unprecedented about it. And also considering that, you know, Habib, who a lot of people might consider to be number one, you know, he never moved up and Israel's doing something that he didn't do and obviously Israel's undefeated. And just to add one more thing, I, I also feel like with Conor McGregor's potential decline as far as fan perception it almost uh it almost kind of tees israel up to be arguably the biggest superstar in the ufc um and maybe even take that torch from conor mcgregor in in some ways i i would agree i would agree you know he's, he's charismatic uh he dresses well he can dance dance better than most people i know you know he's got he's the full package and he was the full package as the middleweight champion. You know, his defences so far have been fantastic and you would only expect them to get better from this point onwards. He's already rolled the dice and moved up a weight class when when a lot of other fighters would have quite happily stayed where they are and continued defending. You know, there was always talk about Demetrius Johnson moving up and he never did. And it kind of got to the stage where it, it was kind of too late to move up, you know, and he had to he had to move on. Adesanya is, is, is taking this opportunity at the right moment. And if he can get both belts, especially with John Jones up at heavyweight, Adesanya could be the king of those two divisions for for the foreseeable future. I mean, the, the, you know, the, he'd have to be a bit busier than than uh, you know some other weight classes like Amanda Nunes, of course, because she doesn't have so much competition at featherweight. It's much easier for her to manage two weight classes, whereas Adesanya is taking on a massive amount of responsibility to have the two hundred five belt as well because there are about 15 people floating around that all want a piece of that belt and they're all hard fights and they'll, they'll queue up and, and fight him every other weekend if he's, if he's healthy. Um, it's a big responsibility and I think, I, I think the fact that he's willing to do it at this stage and the fact that he's also already stated that he's going to be going back to middleweight to defend that belt as well, it, it, it shows his intentions. It, it, it wouldn't surprise me at all if we see him up at, to a, up at a heavyweight at some point as well. And, and I would imagine he's probably not going to get above sort of 220 when he's up there as well. So I, I'm just excited. You know, as a martial arts fan and as a fan of MMA and, and the UFC, to have someone like Adesanya in their career right now, and, and the same when McGregor was coming up, you know, watching him against Brandau in, in, in uh, Ireland, you know something special is happening. And it's nice to be able to witness it as it's happening. Um, and, you know, we're, we're, we're all kind of along for the journey at this point because we, we're, we're all bought into the Adesanya train. Not that mm. I'm off the Wahhabich train, absolutely. Mm. But, uh, you know, both trains are full speed ahead. Well, there's there's something exciting about seeing how just how far somebody can go and how far they can push themselves. And no one's even talked about being a triple champ, and yet people are already kind of looking at scenarios where, yeah, all right, we can we can see how Adesanya could potentially do it. Obviously, he's, you know, he's got to get past Jan this weekend, which is no easy feat. But if he, if he does win, he's really got his choice of three divisions, going back to middleweight, staying at 205, which there doesn't seem to be any, you know, uh, wild challenges at this point, um, or potentially potentially go to heavyweight maybe even wait until john jones you know possibly wins the belt if if that even happens and then do that super fight what would you like to see you know next from adesanya if he's able to be the the, the dual champion a lot of ifs a lot of hypotheticals here mm-hmm. I, I mean i think what would be nice is to leave john jones to go up to heavyweight and, and have a couple of fights and see where he's at because he you know he might he might feel the fists of some of those big boys and, and want to come back down again. We, we don't know what Jones is going to look like at heavyweight. We expect him to be incredible, of course, as we expect Adesanya to be incredible at, at light heavyweight. But it doesn't always work out, as we see when people go at weight classes. Um, 
So John Jones and, and the heavyweight division, I'm, I'm happy to see that as it is right now. And for Adesanya to, to step up to 205, if he wins the belt this weekend, goes back down to defend the, the 185-pound belt, by the time that's done, there'll already be two or three people ready for the 205 shot. And re- realistically, if he's, if he's cutting from... Uh, if he's walking onto the scales at 193 pounds, he could probably make welterweight. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's... You know, ridiculous as that sounds, but like, I mean, I, I used to start training camp at 205. Like, I'm 199 pounds today, you know, like, and, and I, I could, I mean, I've done a, a DEXA scan and they've told me I, if I really wanted to, I could probably make featherweight. Jeez. <laughs> like, these, these Performance Institute guys are crazy. And I, I know Dean Amasinga would look at Adesanya and, and pretty much know what, he, what weight he could boil off him. And, and they would definitely be able to get him to 170 if he wanted it. Like, he, he could do. 170, 185, 205, and then save heavyweight for when he's uh, on his way to retirement. He, he's in a good weight class, and he's he's a good size for those weight classes as well. It's not like he's going up to 205 and he's going to be small. He's still two inches in height and two inches in reach ahead of you. Um, he's got the physiology to move up and down. It, as long as he's doing it healthy, that's the only thing. See, GSP doesn't have to worry about going to a, a lightweight. He can stick around at 170 and see what happens with Israel Adesanya. <laughs> Imagine that. GSP at 50 years old makes a comeback. Um, just quickly, uh, I mean, a lot of people are leaning towards uh, Israel to win this fight. Um, who are you leaning towards, Dan? Would, is that the the guy that sort of sticks out in your mind as the one that's going to get it done this weekend? Yeah, I'd, I'd be, I mean, obviously I'd be very impressed if Adesanya won, but I'd, I'd be definitely more expectant of him walking away with, with the 205-pound belt. I, I think it's a really tough first defense for Jan Blachowicz. I kind of feel for him a little bit that he's not, you know, he's not at a, I mean, I'm not saying Glover Teixeira is an easy person by any means, but there's a couple of other guys that are floating around that wouldn't quite have the same uh, impact and presence in the octagon as Adesanya, which might have been a bit more suitable for his first defense. Um, but then, you know, you, you don't you don't get big rewards without taking big risks. And, and to welcome Adesanya up to the, the weight class, it's, I mean, it, it's about as big a fight as you can get right now. You know, it's a good opportunity for Jan to, to roll the dice and, and see if he can, you know, see if he can do the business. Um, but, you know, I, I'm thinking, I often go on, on, and I think I've said this to you guys before, I often go, well, if they fought 10 times, who wins how many times? And And for me, this fight playing out 10 times, 10 different scenarios. I've got Adesanya winning five, like six or seven times. Like there's definitely ways for Jan to win, but every way that he wins, he's going to have to work hard for it. Um, and catching Adesanya with a, with a clean shot early on is, is just going to be so difficult to do with his, with his awareness and his range management and his speed. Um, I, I think it's an, it's an easier win for Adesanya if he gets his game rolling in the first round. But Jan's going to have to work for his victories no matter what. Mm. It's going to be fascinating, man, watching watching history in the making. Um, just quickly before we get out of your hair, Dan, um, just to give a little bit of respect to, to the other guys on the card, I just want to get your very quick thoughts um, on the other two title fights. The first one, obviously, Peter Yan versus Aljamain Sterling. It, it is a mix of Yan's excellent boxing, but Sterling's takedowns just always seem to find a home, and he just keeps getting better and better. People almost talking about uh, Sterling as if he's the uncrowned champion. Just quickly, who are you leaning towards in that one? Um, you know what, honestly, that's a 50-50 because, because they're so different fighters. Uh, um, Peter Yan's footwork and the threat of, of something coming all the time backs people up. And, and if he's able to get inside Aljamain Sterling's head, 
then he's going to be he's going to be backing him up against the fence, slipping inside his punches and causing him some issues. As you said, though, Aljo's got great wrestling, good, good, you know, strong low single that he can run him into the fence and jump on Peter Yan's back and strangle the life out of him. But that, honestly, it, on, on my ten out of ten system, they they take it five apiece. I'm just going to sit and enjoy that one. And speaking of goats, Amanda Nunes is back and she's taken on Megan Anderson, uh, Australian Megan Anderson. A lot of Aussies really excited for this one, but. How do you think this plays out? And do you see me, uh, some scenarios here when Megan can sort of shock the world and beat Amanda Nunes? Yeah, always. You know, always. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a dreamer at heart. And, What's and, it on the Dan 10 out of 10 system? <laughs> yeah. That's the most important question. A 10 out of 10 on this one, I'm, I'm seeing Amanda Nunes walking away with nine, you know, nine maybe eight to push nine most of the time. It's... <laughs> We, we know we know about Amanda Nunes. We know how dangerous she is, how aggressive she is. She's got a black belt in judo, black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. She's got a win over Felicia Spencer, who was the last person to hand a, a defeat to, to Megan. So th- there are lots of things that paint the picture of, of, of Amanda Nunes defending her belt and, and, and going back down to bantamweight. But if I'm a dreamer, um, Megan Anderson's range management with her jab is very good, and she she bolts on her right hand very well to that. If you watch her fight against Peggy Morgan in Invicta, she teed her up pretty well with that right hand over and over and gave her a real nasty swelling on her face. Um, I would also say that she's got great timing on her knees as well. She almost took out Holly Holm in the first round. If she gets up against the, the clinch, she's got. Uh, if she gets in the clinch, she's got good head position as well. The one thing I'm watching out for, and we we mentioned Rakic earlier and reaching away. If she's able to chase Amanda Nunes back a little bit and get a circle in the way, that long uh, lead high kick that she's got, that's, I mean, that, that's what one of the Invicta belt for, for a start uh, against, uh, against Charmaine Sweet. Like, she's a, she's a very rangy fighter, and it's very easy to underestimate how long her legs are. I mean, literally 50% of her body is legs. And <laughs> yeah. you, you feel like you're out of range and then still get slapped across the face with a, with a kick. Um, definitely up against it as far as the odds go um but but as a dreamer yeah this this ways that she can win for sure it's going to be hard fought and she needs to stay off the ground and out of the clinch but um her striking skills are going to be problematic if amanda nunez wants to play that game a great representative for the sport and also super experienced against some of the best in the world so i think a lot more dangerous than what a lot of people realize and also a lot of aussies really excited to see that one and as we wrap down last one well last thing for me um one of, maybe the most important thing that we're going to be talking about, you versus Matt Brown. What's the latest on that? I know you contacted the UFC. Is, are there any updates for us? Is it happening? Can you sort of shed any light on it? Well, I've just seen, I saw today that he's been he's been matched with uh, with Lima. So I, I I don't know what's going on there. And 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 they couldn't have booked him as as far back as they have either. I mean, he's 19th of June. It's it's the last fight last fight card that the UFC have got on their schedule. It's the only fight on the card at the moment. So I don't know what's going on there. I'm trying to get in contact with the UFC, and it's proven very difficult at the moment. Um, so social media is the best way of going about it. And and I've got <clears throat> there you go. That's my 15 names on my list. That's my hit list. And uh, I think we I've can got... freeze frame that and, and capture all of them. <laughs> did, I see, did I see Brock Lesnar's name at number two, or am I just blind? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I've got a list there. There's a list of 15 guys there that at any point in the next couple of years, I'd be happy to fight and I'd be very much appreciative of their competition as well because they're all formidable individuals and all people that I feel like I could find a way to beat, um, which very much excites me. So I'll work down the list. I mean, Matt Brown's the one that I want. Um, because it makes sense. 
uh, Nick Diaz. Nick Diaz is my priority. I, I mean, a Diaz brother would be great just because I love their vibe. I love their trash talk. And I think that I think I could get inside their head the way they get inside other people's head. Mm. And I, I, I always think their game has been, has been you know, over-celebrated, shall we say. They're, they're good, but they're not technically great. They're kind of sloppy. They've got they've got good, good jiu-jitsu, of course, but they don't have any means of getting you to the ground without slapping the hell out you like they did McGregor. I, I just think, you know, Diaz, the Diaz brothers have got such a name um, and Nick's been out for so long and and this is the thing that people forget you know like he's been out in the in the bars in Vegas and I've been sitting octagon side studying the sport and watching it grow I, I feel like I've been absorbing souls I feel like like uh, what's his name off Mortal Kombat every single fight I've watched I've absorbed something from it and I do it on a daily basis I, I watched the Canelo fight against Yildirim 12 times yesterday and I got a lot from that like the amount of information in my brain, if I can communicate 10% of that into any kind of combat sport, I, I'm, I'm feeling confident I could beat every single name on that list. You are the, the Shang Tsung of MMA, uh, just just taking souls, man. And I agree, I think your brand has gotten bigger, especially with all the great work you do on Full Reptile. I think there'd be even more excitement about you coming back and just seeing you know, all the things that you've learned and how you implement them. But there you go, guys. At Dan Hardy MMA, follow them out on Twitter and Instagram. See who he calls out next. See how that uh, that fifteen man list uh, rolls around and sort of, it's like it's like Kill Bill essentially. And of course, uh, follow Dan on Full Reptile, the best YouTube channel, basically at, as far as any kind of breakdowns or any kind of analysis. Uh, lots of love to you, Dan. Always love having you on the show. And then uh, say hi to the Raptors for us as well. I will do, guys. Always great speaking to you. 